Old Testament from the book of the prophet Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1 following. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and he went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him, and he said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots so that we may know for whose cause this evil is come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou, and what is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and they said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm for you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring it to land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah, and they cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. And now the On September the 19th, about six Sundays ago, we began to study some of the great characters in the Bible. And with the exception of Communion Sunday, we have followed through with that. First of all, we looked at that mighty prophet, really the last of the Old Testament prophets, and the one who paved the way for the coming of the Christ, John the Baptist. And we saw how much Jesus loved him and what Jesus said about him. And then we saw his prototype in the Old Testament, and the mighty and towering prophet Elijah, and how fearless and great that prophet of God was, and yet how he was subject to depression that came upon him, 
And we saw something of the ecstasy and something of the agony of those who are righteous before God, some of their own foibles, even in the greatest. And then we saw one of that rare breed of prophets, one of those men who had no concern for his own image or reputation, a man whose name is Micaiah, who when the odds were 400 to 1 that the truth would be spoken, he came through for God and was God's 401st prophet and spoke in power the truth before a reprobate king whose name was Ahab. Then after Micaiah, we saw a nameless prophet who also had the audacity through a parable to warn one of the kings not to be so busy here and there about other things that he forgot the main thing, which was to serve God. And then we saw Nathan. Nathan, that tremendously powerful preacher whose skill in proclaiming God's truth was such that he caught David and brought him face to face with God to see his sin in such a way that David smote his breast and cried to God for forgiveness. And then because last Sunday was Reformation Sunday, we looked at the great prayer which David made in the 51st Psalm for the forgiveness of God. And we saw how during the Reformation period, Martin Luther likened himself to David and cried out unto God, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And we saw still the effects of Nathan's great preaching through David's life, and then on down through the years through another latter-day prophet like Martin Luther. And today we come to this prophet Jonah. You know, as a little boy, I grew up in a country cotton town in East Texas back in the Depression. About the only entertainment we had was when a revival meeting came to town and sawdust was poured on the ground and a tent was put up. Or a medicine show would come and we would go and hear a medicine man speak and try to sell some great remedy that would cure all ills. Or Once in a while, a circus would come, and some of us would go to the county fairgrounds and offer to carry water in order to get a a pass to go in. Cost a nickel to go to the movies. We called them the picture show. My little boy was asking me the other day, Nathan, who's seven, he asked me, he said, Daddy, how was it like in the olden days before television? (laughs) Well, that's what it was like. When our radio broke down, we didn't even have enough money to get it fixed, and it was really tough then. And I remember one year when I walked about three miles to go to the Texas and Pacific Railroad track to look at a whale. (laughs) It it was on a big flat car, and it cost five cents to get in, and I didn't have the five cents, and I'm a little ashamed, sort of ashamed, to tell you that I I sneaked in (laughs) and got a glimpse of the whale. And you know what I thought about when I saw the whale? I thought about a story in the Bible that my mother had read me about Jonah. And really that's the tragedy, the book of Jonah. That everyone who thinks about the book of Jonah almost automatically thinks about a whale. I was so obsessed with what was going on inside of the whale that I clear forgot what was going on inside of Jonah. And that's the whole point of the story. 
It's to tell us how God deals with one of his prophets to whom he had given a great commission and how that prophet responded and how it applied to the generation in which Jesus lives, lived and how it applies to our own generation. Now, Jonah is mentioned to us in the 14th chapter of the book of 2 Kings, the 25th verse. He was a real live prophet, all right. And he prophesied in the southern kingdom of Samaria. Uh, he was a preacher. He was a prophet, and he had made some great prophecies in their kingdom under Jeroboam II, had risen to great heights of success that caused the people to begin to say, Things are now like they were during the time in which David was king. It had been a long time since they had had things as good as they were then. And right in the midst of all of that affluence and prosperity, there comes a word from the Lord to a prophet by the name of Jonah who had been instrumental in prophesying good things for his kingdom to go to Nineveh the capital of their arch enemy, and to prophesy in that great city. Now you know when you have a great and powerful country that borders to your country, and it's a good country, and it's kind to you, then you feel friendly toward it. But when the great and powerful country that's next to you is mean and wicked, you don't feel so friendly toward it. And so this is the problem. God tells Jonah that he is to go to the capital of Assyria, to Nineveh, and that he is to cry against it for their great wickedness. But do you know what Jonah did? Jonah wanted to save God from making a mistake. He thought, I can't believe this. God wants me to go and cry against the wickedness of Nineveh? Why, if they repent, God just might save them. And then if they get saved, then later on they might just swallow us up. Why, God really doesn't want to do that. And so God was getting second choice, really, in second place in Jonah's life. And so Jonah did what a lot of us have done when we didn't want to do what the Lord told us to do. There is a phrase that keeps coming back in that stately cadence of the King James that he rose and fled from the presence of the Lord. Now, Tarshish is a difficult town to locate nowadays. There are commentators who maintain that it was somewhere on the coast of Spain. That would have been just about as far as he could get away from Nineveh. It would be just as if I were going to go to the northeast and God told me to go there to prophesy and I said, oh no, I'm going to the southwest and I took off in the other direction just as far in the opposite direction as I could go. Well, that's what Jonah determined that he would do, that he would rise and flee from the presence of the Lord. And so Jonah went to a travel bureau in the city of Joppa. And I'm sure that when he came there to this port city and walked down amongst the wharves and he looked at all of the ships, big ships, little ships, new ships, old ships, ships that had red sails, yellow sails, white sails, ships that were going in all kinds of directions, 
Jonah went from ship to ship to ship to try to find a ship that was going as far as he could get away from Nineveh, the city where God had told him to go. And he found this ship that was going to Tarshish. And you can read a great sermon on this in the splendid American novel Moby Dick. Herman Melville has a Father Maples who preaches a tremendous sermon uh, in Moby Dick on this experience in which Jonah comes down to the wharf and seeks out a ship. And Herman Melville has the old ship captain to look over Jonah and he could tell there was a guilty look on Jonah's face that he looked like a man who was running away from something. And the way he tested a man to see whether he was running away from something or not was to charge him three times the fare. And if he paid it automatically, he knew he was a crook. And so he, he charges Jonah three times the fare, and Jonah quickly pays it and goes on board. And he wonders what kind of crook Jonah must be, whether he's a murderer or whether he's a robber or just what crime Jonah is guilty of, but he had his money and Jonah was on board and he thought it was a good bargain. Well, this is the way it is. You know, the travel people now in promoting their travel campaigns have a great slogan. It's called fly now and pay later. You have an air travel card and so you can fly now and pay later for it. But some of us who have a little money problem from time to time find out that we pay and pay and pay and pay. Credit is, is a funny sort of thing. But you know, life is like that. We can flee from the responsibilities that God has laid upon us and we'll pay later for it. We can flee from the responsibilities of our home and we'll pay later for it. We can flee from the responsibilities of vows and commitments which we have made to God and to Jesus Christ. We'll pay later for it. We can flee from responsibilities that we have in our studies. We'll pay later for it. We can flee from a multitude of responsibilities, but we'll pay later. We'll pay and pay and pay. Well, this is what Jonah did. Jonah was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. But Jonah should have known better than this, and if he had that magnificent 139th Psalm, those words which John Akers read to you a moment ago must have kept in his mind, Whither shall I go from thy presence? How can I get away from the presence of God? And the answer is simple. You can't get away from the presence of God. But he had gone on board the ship, and he was trying his best to get away from God. And then when the ship put out to sea, God has a miracle that occurs here that a lot of people don't notice. But he sends a tremendous storm, which is a real miracle. There was a storm by God's own appointment which came and great power. And these ships of Tarshish were famous for being the strongest made cargo-carrying vessels afloat. And yet that ship was being tossed on the waves of the sea like a matchbox. And they all were afraid. And these pagans in their superstition began to wonder, why has this terrible storm come upon us? When the storms of life are raging, we frequently wonder that. We frequently pray and pray and pray then. One of my friends told me when I was in seminary in Atlanta years ago when our first little boy was born, he said, start praying for him now. 
And the more you pray for him now, the less you'll have to pray for him later on. Start praying for him now. Don't wait till trouble comes. That was good advice to a new father. Well, here Jonah is. And he is sound asleep, trying to put God out of his mind. But the storm comes, and the captain of the ship is amazed. And he comes to him, and he shakes him and says, Wake up, you sleeper. If you've got a God, start praying to him. We're all going to go to the bottom of the ocean. And Jonah comes out on the deck of the ship, and he looks in the faces of the frightened sailors, and he sees death written all over their faces, and he feels ashamed. He knows what he's done, and he knows this mess that he's gotten them into. And they cast lots, and the lot falls upon Jonah, and he can no longer hide what's happened. And so they begin to question him. What country are you from? What is your occupation? Where were you going? What have you done? And there again comes the stately cadence of that phrase. For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Beware of a man who is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He can bring a lot of trouble to you. And he can bring a lot of trouble on himself. And beware if you are fleeing from the presence of the Lord. If the voice of God is whispering inside you and you're stifling that voice and you don't want to hear it, beware. Well, when this had happened, and the lot had fallen upon Jonah. These pagan sailors are more Christian in their attitude than Jonah's. Even after they know the crime that he has committed, they rode hard and tried to bring the craft to land, but they couldn't. And then when they asked Jonah what was to be done, he said they were to cast him into the sea. They still didn't want to do it, but finally they cast him overboard. And it's interesting that it says here that after they had cast Jonah into the raging of the sea, the men feared the Lord, that is, Jonah's Lord, exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and they made vows. Jonah was a missionary without wanting to be a missionary. He had won some people to the Lord without really wanting to win them to the Lord. They had come to him here. And then in chapter 2, we read of the great experience that followed here and of Jonah's crying out unto God. And that second chapter of Jonah is a tremendous psalm and it rivals in poetry and style and beauty almost anything that you'll find in the Old Testament because it's showing the agony of a person who is out of harmony with God's will. And when we're out of harmony with the will of God, then we feel miserable inside. We're off beat. We're going the wrong way. I can remember when I was like Jonah. I can remember when God was calling me into the ministry. And I said, God, I don't want to be a preacher. I don't want a bunch of old ladies coming around me telling me what to do all the time. I don't want to be wasting my time driving back and forth from the cemetery. I don't want to be always reading books and working on sermons. 
I don't want to have to go around hospitals. I don't want to get out there where the action is and really be somebody. Now, I got a chance, Lord. I can go to Washington. I can work up there. I'll make a lot of money, and God, I'll give you half of it. That's exactly what I tried to do. I tried to bargain with God. And I was like Jonah, and I ran away. I ran all the way to West Texas from East Texas. <laughs> and that's a long way. <laughs> but God was out there waiting on me <laughs> in West Texas. I went to school. I began to pray. I got around Christians. I wanted to be around them because they were living right. And every time someone would bring up, what are you going to be? And I said, I'm going to be a lawyer. And they'd say, did you ever think the Lord may be calling you into the ministry? And I said, no, he's not calling me. And I was trying to get away from God as fast as I could go. But then there came one night when I knelt and prayed. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm tired of running. And I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll even be a preacher. <laughs> I thought that was really humility <laughs> to be a preacher. Let me tell you something. The Lord made some of those old ladies that I was talking about a while ago a wonderful blessing to my soul. The Lord made visiting people in the hospital and seeing their troubles and sharing with them in their sorrows more rewarding and satisfying to me than all of the money I could have ever made as a lawyer. The Lord made introducing a person to know Jesus Christ better to my soul and sweeter to my heart than any earthly gain I can honestly conceive of in my soul. And all of the things that I feared, he turned into a blessing for me. I still have trouble, and it's always not a shining pathway, and the work is still hard, and there is opposition there, but the challenge is what makes life what it ought to be. Well, Jonah was cast out on the land. He went into Nineveh. He preached an eight-word sermon. And after an experience like Jonah, you really got a testimony. <laughs> if you come out of the belly of a fish like he did, there are people that will walk for miles to listen to you preach. And so all of Nineveh came out to hear Jonah. And Jonah went up and down the town preaching, Repent, you've only got 40 days, and you better get right with God. He's going to destroy the whole town. And it was a huge city, 60 miles around the city. And Jonah preached, and from the king on his throne to the lowliest servant and slave in the whole city of Nineveh, there was a fast proclaimed, and there was a tremendous conversion that took place. And you would have thought that Jonah would have been pleased with what had happened. But oh, not Jonah. In the fourth chapter of Jonah, after the third chapter tells us of his preaching experience, we read that Jonah was angry. He wanted God to clobber his enemies. 
not to save them. And yet that's what God had done. He had saved them. And so Jonah was stubborn and ornery, and he sat down and wished that he would die. And it was a hot, broiling sun. And a sort of a jack-in-the-beanstalk thing takes place. A, a big castor plant comes up with huge leaves and grows very quickly, and the leaves spread out and make a shade. And the shade felt good on his old bald head, and the sun was beating down on it. And Jonah had something that made him smile a little bit, the shade. And then a cutworm attacked that plant. Then a sultry wind hit it, and it withered. And Jonah was mad again. And then the Lord said to him some words that I've had written to me on a card and which I've written to other people on a card. Doest thou well to be angry? Are you right to be angry, Jonah? You did nothing to cause this plant to grow, and yet it grew. You thought it was a lovely thing, and you had pity on the plant, and you smiled, Jonah. But then when it was taken down, you were angry. Now, Jonah, Nineveh has 120,000 infants in it that do not even know their right hand from their left. And many cattle. And I've had mercy on this city, Jonah. And I've spared it. Because I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and judgment on whom I will have judgment. You're to obey me. Jesus said one day there would no sign be given to an, a wicked and an adulterous generation but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Why? Jonah was a call to repentance, to a change of heart and mind and life to the city of Nineveh. And Jesus makes a direct analogy between himself and Jonah in Jonah's mission of preaching repentance. And he says to the Pharisees and the scribes who resented his mission and to the city of Jerusalem who rejected him, Nineveh repented under the preaching of Jonah, but you have not repented, and a greater than Jonah is here. And so there is a message that comes to us today in our escapism. We run away from God in the loud noise that we hear in our music. We run away from God in sex. We run away from God in eating. All these quick food places, hamburger joints like McDonald's and, and Burger King and so on. We eat tons of food that we really don't need just to escape. The other day in the Peanuts cartoon, I saw a tremendous little line by Linus. He was talking to Charlie Brown. And he said to Charlie Brown, he said, there's no problem so big that I can't run away from it. That strikes home, doesn't it? We're like that. We run away from it in alcohol. We run away from it in sex. We run away from it in drugs. We run away from it in noise. We run away from it in frantic activity. We can go to the travel bureau and get out of town. Run away from it. Just keep running, 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 running. Don't ever stop. Because if you stop, God may speak to you. Well, let me close with one who 
tried to run from God and one day came face to face with him. One of my favorite poems is The Hound of Heaven by Francis Thompson. Francis Thompson died in 1907. To gratify his father's ambitions, Francis Thompson had entered the University of Manchester's medical school in Manchester, England. He didn't want to really be a doctor and he failed his final examination. And because he did not want the rebuke that he knew would be waiting for him if he went home, he went to the slums of London and tried to hide himself there. He had become addicted to laudanum, an opium derivative. He went into drugs. He became the lowest of the low in the slums of London. He sold matches on the streets to make money to eat. He went into every kind of worldliness, every kind of intellectual speculation, even as a ragged beggar. And then one day someone saw a piece of poetry that he had written, a devout Roman Catholic whose name was Alice Maynell, a poet. And she and her husband had great trouble, went through the slums of London searching for this man, Francis Thompson. And they found him. And they showed to Francis Thompson the love of God and the mercy of Christ. And they took him to their home. And oh, if you're studying English literature, study the poems of Francis Thompson. And Francis Thompson wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven in telling how he tried to flee from God and God came after him. Let me just read you a little of it. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And up this day at hopes I sped and shot precipitated down titanic glooms of chasmed fears while those strong feet beat and a voice came following after. He fled him down the nights and down the days. He tried to find diversion in sex. I pleaded outlaw-wise by many a hearted casement curtained red but that didn't work. Then he began to look at the stars and the wonders of the universe. I fled him across the margin of the world and troubled the gold gateway of the stars, clung to the whistling mane of every wind. But God followed him there. He finally sought consolation in a landscape. Against the red throb of its sunset heart, I laid my breast hoping to find comfort in nature. But the fleeing soul knew that there was no ultimate escape from those strong feet that kept following him. But with unhurrying chase, an unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat in a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee that betrayest me. And then the last, ah, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he whom thou seekest. Thou dravest love from thee who dravest me. 
he was afraid of the shade of God's hand. But when he saw that that hand was the hand of love, Francis Thompson surrendered, and the hound of heaven had followed him in his flee and won him unto himself. Don't flee God. Do not flee your responsibilities to him. Repent. Turn to him. Ask his forgiveness. Accept his mercy. And walk in the light of his love. Let us stand and be dismissed. O God, our Heavenly Father, we bless thee that thou hast shown us a picture of thy great love for us. We thank thee that if a rebellious prophet can turn back to thee and find in thee forgiveness, surely we who have denied the impulses of thy spirit, if we turn now and say to thee, Yes, Lord, I'll do thy bidding, I will follow thy will, that thou wilt accept our plea for forgiveness and that thou wilt lead us in a changed course of direction that shall count for good. And so God grant that that may be the way with us. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation and help us, O God, to rejoice in the salvation of others and to be glad that we have a God who loves all men and who is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We do pray that thou wilt help us to be instruments of that love and grace that we may see many saved. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with you all, both now and forevermore. Mm -hmm.